But I did find myself coming back to the biopharmaceutical industry. I've, I've always found it to be unique and, and challenging. It's this intersection of science and health policy and regulation and all, all these different things come together to make it a, a really challenging business. Slightly more interested in keeping track of his favorite bands than his studies in college, Eric Jensen still found a way to meld his long-standing interest in science with his English degree, ultimately ending up in the biopharmaceutical world. When given the chance to choose something new, he stuck with the industry and continued amping up the impact. Find out how letting yourself get in the groove can often keep the jam going on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today I'm here with Eric Jensen and we are going to talk about spanning disciplines and getting to where you're supposed to be using the skills that you have and it's a delight to have you here. So thanks so much, Eric. Thanks. All right. So I start these the same way with all of my guests asking two questions and they are these. When we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? Oh, gosh, that's kind of a difficult question. You know, I think in college, it was kind of a a transition point in my life. Obviously, anybody who who goes to Dartmouth has been successful in a number of ways. Otherwise, you you wouldn't be there. I found myself probably less engaged academically. Honestly, I did fine, but it wasn't my focus. I was more interested in, in my friends and going to see music, having a few parties, that sort of stuff. And, and the school was kind of secondary to that, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. You know, as I, I got out of school, I probably was still lingering in that phase a little bit. I, I moved down to New York, got my start in pharmaceutical advertising space, which was never something that I aspired to, but, you know, kind of found myself saying, okay, it, you know, it's probably long enough to be in this phase. I need to think about where I'm going to be going in my career and what do I want to be? I get, and maybe I'm still figuring that out, to be honest with you. But I, I did know that I, I certainly had some potential that I wanted to fulfill in terms of, you know, my leadership, in terms of doing something that was meaningful uh, in, in terms of, you know, contributing to the world. Yeah. And you'd been an English major, right? I was an English major, yeah. Yeah. Which in some ways is a reflection of what, what I just said. I, I always liked writing and, and, and reading. So that was kind of a, an easy path for me. I think I thought I was going to be a doctor at some point. Oh. Um, well, going into college, certainly thought I'm going to be a doctor. I had a, a number of doctors in my family. My godfather was a physician. But I, I think along the way found, okay, I, didn't, I don't know that I want to continue going to school. Mm. or another, you know, whatever it was at that point, eight, 10, 12 years, depending on what sort of specialty you wanted to be. Yeah. And so made the pivot to, to English pretty early a- along the way. So put in a little time in the pre-med and then pivoted back. Exactly. There, there, I always tell the story. There's this one class. I, I actually came into Dartmouth with some math credit. I'd done, done well on the BC calculus exam. And I took in my freshman fall multivariable calculus it was Professor Williamson, who I don't want to say he was old, but he was very old at that point and kind of sat at the board scribbling really abstract equations and speaking and mumbling to himself toward toward the board. And that was the last math class I ever yeah. took. I had Professor Chauncey Loomis, who is my freshman fall English professor, who I absolutely adore. 
ultimately took his Faulkner class and was probably the best class I, I ever took in my academic mm. career. And so that, that was probably part of the story of saying, okay, do I really want to go down this technical route? I'm kind of happy doing other things at, at Dartmouth and kind of enjoyed that more cerebral kind of pondering the meaning of life and, and your, you know, your own uh, dark corners as well. So that, that was probably part of the story as well. Yeah. And so an advertising route seems kind of normal, logical for an English major. You said pharmaceutical advertising, which would make sense for a pre-med. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Did that happen? Did you make that happen? Or was it just kind of yes. where you landed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I, I often describe it that way. It was kind of a nice starting point in the career. Had done a lot of science. I come from a family of scientists. My brother's a PhD in ecology and evolution. My mom's a science teacher. So I always kind of enjoyed the sciences and of course loved the communication from, from my English major. So there was a nice intersection there. Now, to be completely honest, I, I also got you know family connections to help get me into that first job into the agency. So that also helped. Well, it probably helped, yeah, get the position, but it also helped give you a visualization of something that could meld the two because I don't know about you but at 22 I didn't know what the know. you know wealth of opportunities were out there to say that there was a healthcare focused advertising company like that what <laughs> like how do you even know that happens yeah, 100% and, and you know honestly we graduated I was focused on going to Europe for the summer which was a great decision I never would take that decision back and had made the decision, okay, I'll come back. I'll live at home. I, I grew up on Long Island. I knew a number of my friends were going to be living in New York. That was the, the destination and sort of punted the decision until I got back. And at that point, focused on advertising it and through the family connections, that's, that's where I got my, my first start. Okay. I, I want to hear about that, but I have to ask about the European interlude. You said you spent a lot of time at Dartmouth going to see music. Did you see a lot of good music in Europe? Yeah, uh, well, you know, didn't see a ton of good music in Europe. I, so I, I'd seen a number of Fish concerts. So back, uh, back okay. in the okay. 92 to 96 days, I had a good friend at University of Vermont and a number of my friends at Dartmouth as well. We were kind of into that scene. We're seeing the Grateful Dead, seeing a, a number of Fish concerts. So I saw somewhere in, in the neighborhood of 30, 35 Fish concerts. Oh, my God. Wait, what are Fish fans called? Fish heads, I guess. Fish heads, okay. Yeah, it's just so funny. Um, by the way, I haven't seen, well, I saw them once at Madison Square Garden not too long ago, but I haven't seen them in forever. And a ton Well, of you front-loaded it. I think you're okay. You're still, not, you're still official. That era's over. Uh, but yeah, and, you know, I, a number of my friends were Fidel's as well. They had their, their spring concerts, so I saw those. In Europe, I, I did. I saw fish in Amsterdam at the Melkweg. It was an interesting experience. Okay. I remember a ton of it. I remember all of it. <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> no i do remember that it wasn't the best concert that was the one we saw but we we made a circle around europe uh started in london went to amsterdam paris barcelona on the beach in, in spain down to rome and florence and up to switzerland and all the way up to sweden at one point so we, we had a great time Nice. And so when you came back, you were ready to kind of jump into New York life, probably also some good music. And sure. what did the idea of melding these two worlds really look like? Were you feeling like you were exercising both interests in that first? Probably not. No, no. I mean, so so the, the advertising agency had two sort of wings. One was more traditional advertising, communication vehicles, advertisements sort of stuff. 
and by the way, Salesforce materials that the Salesforce and a pharmaceutical company would use. And the, the other one was medical education. So that that's really where I got my my first in is because my godfather was a prominent neurologist and he did a lot of work with the agency that was developing the medical education that would be a CME program, for example. And so that was kind of my way in. But the first job was actually called traffic, which was really the role to kind of carry the material through the different members of the team as it was being developed. It's just so funny. We've moved on so long where there were actually physical proofs and these sorts of things that I would carry to the copywriter, that I would carry to the account management team, and then to the art director, and then to the, you know, whatever, the production team. Like I would actually be the one who would be the glue to kind of carry these projects physically around the office. We were still in the era, era, by the way, of the memo. Like I still remember we get, you know, several of our communications would be done through inner office memo and it would come and it would land in your office and you pick up the memo and everybody'd read it, which is just classic. It's a, we're at the very end of that sort of era of business mm-hmm. at that moment. And uh, so that I always find that to be amusing. Yeah. And actually you did parlay a couple of those experiences then into speaking of business, business school. Correct. What was the, the mindset there of where you thought that might take you as those lead to lots of pivots sometimes? Yeah. So five years in New York, great times, a lot of friends there, got some good experience in, you know, the business world through the advertising agents, but you're really only at that moment seeing a small piece of the broader business puzzle. And and I knew I didn't want to be in that client service realm forever. Honestly, also a lot of friends were making similar pivots, a number of them going to business school and, and onto other things. And it felt like, you know what, I don't want to kind of outstay my welcome sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That was a moment in time. And so it felt like the right time to say, okay, you know, I don't want to live in New York forever. Uh, I don't want to be in this advertising agency realm forever. So what next? Probably a good idea to go back to school at that moment, 27 years old, five years in the work world. Let's go back and finish the school. I had a very different experience, by the way, at Anderson, UCLA where I was, I found the academics so easy. It was so easy to focus on the academics and I did super well there and still had a really great time. So obviously a a little bit of maturity from five years in the work world and seeing the bigger picture of where I wanted to go and how the school fit and just wanting to do better. Yeah, and I've actually, that's a refrain I've heard from a couple of people. And I do think, though, you probably soaked up more than you realized the first time around. And so you had such a good foundation of how to learn and all those things, too. Exactly. And I I don't want to say it because I was always a good student and I always have been. It just wasn't my my focus. Yeah. It wasn't like I, I wasn't driven by that the way I was in high school and the way I was in business school. I just was driven by by other things. I still have have this memory. Because I, you know, I was struggling at the end of college knowing what do I want to do? I've been going to school. I'm an English major. I'm smart. I know I've got potential to do any number of different things. Let me throw my hat into this consulting interview ring. And I remember in this interview, I don't remember which firm it was, but it was a great discussion with the guy. I had a good interview. And at the end of it, he was kind of, he kind of steered me away and he said, you know, I think he knew I was going to get the job, let's be clear. But he also wanted to convey some wisdom. I'm sure it was a Dartmouth alum. And he said, you know, this is a tough road. Consulting is sounds really cool and sexy, but I've lost relationships. I've lost 
girlfriends in my life. I've lost friends. I'm on the road all the time. Do you really want to do this? And I think he saw underneath and it was probably, it had a bigger impact than maybe even I knew at that point because I said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not there yet. Right. Which is funny because if you ask my wife now, she would say I'm one of the hardest workers she knows. But at that moment, I was not. I was just like, I was, that, was, that wasn't me. I wasn't there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time changes people it, sometimes. It sure does. Yeah. All right. So business school, what did that afford you in terms of options, expanded horizons and thoughts about what was going to be potential for you? Yeah. You know, I think I went into business school thinking brand new start. I can go anywhere and do anything. And and that's certainly true. But I did find myself coming back to the biopharmaceutical industry. I've, I've always found it to be unique and, and challenging. It's this intersection of, you know, science and health policy and regulation and all, all these different things come together to make it a, a really challenging business experience. And so I also have had the experience there to uh, allow me to to get the job in the, in that field. And so the, you have your internship between your two years in, in business school. I ended up going to, to Pfizer in marketing and was happy about that. I, I wanted to get back into the industry. I didn't really find any spark of interest to, to go a different route halfway through. So, so I did, did this in Pfizer. So I'm Pfizer in New York City at this point, right? So I'm coming back to New York living in New York, actually in a Dartmouth friend's apartment because he had an internship in London. Uh, so I'm here in New York and thinking, okay, well, maybe I do come back to New York and, and live here. And in one of those strange twists of fate, Pfizer bought a, a large peer company called Pharmacia at that point, at the very end of the summer. And as you can imagine, as they're trying to integrate these companies, they put a freeze on, on hiring anybody. And so that allowed me and opened me to interview with Amgen, which is a West Coast, LA-based biopharma company. So on the, you know, kind of more in the biotech space, whereas pharma at that point, you would have thought of them as much more old school pharma. And that that happened uh, in the fall of my second year at school. And, you know, I always, it's interesting, you know, how many things have to go just right to land up where you are at any particular moment in life. And that's certainly one of those pivotal moments that got me to where I am right now. Yeah. And because that has had been a big chunk of your career, right? You spent with them many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. So 19 years. So just closed up a 19 year stint with, with Amgen. But, you know, if, if that hadn't happened, you know, somebody at the top of Pfizer hadn't decided they wanted to, to make this acquisition at that particular moment in time, I, who knows, I might still be living in New York. I, I don't think so because I, like I said earlier, I was driven at that point to not be in New York for the rest of my life, but but who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. But then Ohio, that wasn't West Coast, right? It yeah. became many, many years in Ohio. Yeah, so now I'm, I moved here in 2015. So I, I was coming off of a period of time at Amgen where I was chief of staff for the head of the US business. And that afforded me some opportunity to, to take any number of different jobs. And it was determined as part of my development that I needed a larger leadership experience. I led smaller teams, you know, six, eight people. But, you know, if I'm going to progress my career, I needed to lead leaders and a much larger organization, build culture, that sort of thing. And so they moved me out 
to lead the Great Lakes region of our oncology business, which was Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. And I had already at that point been married to a wonderful woman who's from Ohio, ah. Columbus, Ohio. And so that was the decision we made, although it was, it was kind of funny. She, we met at Amgen. So we met in our first week at Amgen oh. and we kind of lived in California together. We built our family there. We had our two kids who went to Camp Amgen. So we'd all get in the car and, and go to Amgen and we would work and the kids would be at Camp Amgen and then we'd you know pick up and go home. At that moment, we decided she was going to retire when, when I got this job. We didn't know where we were going to go. There were a number of different potential geographical options that were possible. And so I, I remember calling her. I think she was back in Ohio visiting her family, and I was following her. And I said, hey, guess what? We've got the Great Lakes region. We can move back to Columbus, Ohio. And, and I remember she said, I don't want to move back to Ohio. <laughs> I lived in Ohio my entire life. I do not want to move back to Ohio. Um, which was kind of funny first reaction, but actually has worked out incredibly well for us. We had a, a built-in group of friends, a, a lovely community here. Her family's somewhat close. And so we've, we found a home here and now our kids are 12 and 14, soon to be 13 and 14. And part of the community here, our roots are, are grown here. We're, we're going to get the kids through college and stay here. Yeah. It's an easy lifestyle. Coming, you know, living in New York, then LA, you come here, there's a lot that you give up for sure. The weather's not good, but you know, the lifestyle's easy. Uh, it's, there's no traffic. I'm in and out for travel very easily. Obviously cost of living is great. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure your family is very thankful to that Pfizer exec as well, because exactly. a lot of dominoes fell in the right direction for that. Yeah. Awesome. So that is great. So now, more recently, you made a pivot away from that home, but not home. Yeah. Um, tell us where you are right now and, and what the future looks like for you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm at a company called Grail. I, I joined in October of 2022. So like we talked about, 19 years at Amgen, which was a great run. Amgen had always been very good to me. I, I talked about three things. It's kind of the people, the products, and the career runway that they provide you. And Amgen had checked all three really smart, aspirational people, products that I believed in that I thought were, were good for the world. And then they kept moving me. I, th I did like 14 or 15 jobs in my Ooh. 19 years at Amgen. So they kept moving me around to different challenges along this general management track. But, you know, never had thought that I would be at one company for my entire career. That doesn't really happen anymore these days. And, and honestly, just felt like I was getting a little stale, revisiting the same sort of challenges and the same problems over and over again. And Amgen had grown so big. I, I joined in 2003. The company really had five products and maybe $4 billion in global sales and had grown to 25 to 30 products and $26 billion in sales. So it was a great run to see it. But I, we'd gotten to this point where it's just so hard to grow on that base. And we were getting into a world of financial engineering where you're you're just trying to, like, where do you move the forecast to? And, you know, we need to cut OPEX here and, and just constant restructuring and really just trying to make the numbers work. And particularly at the level I was, that's the world I was living in. I just got tired of it. I wanted to build something and do 
something that had real meaning. I'm not saying that Amgen didn't, but... Right, you're just moving farther from the impact part. Exactly, exactly. So Grail came my way, a a couple of Amgen guys who had moved over there. And it's uh, in a field of screening technology. So our mission is to detect cancer earlier when it can still be cured. And we've got a screen test that's actually just commercially available as of a year and a half ago, uh, coming up on on two years that detects up to 50 different types of cancers with a a simple blood draw. That's close to impact. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's, it's a unique convergence of, you know, gene sequencing, which, you know, obviously beginning of the 2000s was only just becoming a reality, costing actually millions or tens of millions for each individual sequencing mm. costs have come down. Obviously the technology is advanced. And then we also have machine learning and artificial intelligence that has burst onto the scene. And this actually uses those two technologies together to sequencing the blood, isolate DNA fragments in, in the blood and detect patterns of sequencing that would be consistent with actually tumor DNA in the blood. That's how it works. And I felt confident in hearing that, that, you know, it's probably a little bit of a bumpy road to any new technology adoption. It's not maybe going to be as easy as it sounds, but on the other hand, we've come to a place where the only real way to bend the curve in terms of cancer outcomes is to detect earlier because the outcomes in a patient who've been, who've had their cancer detected at stage one and two is like 80, 90% five-year survival. When it's at stage three and four, it's closer to 20% overall survival at five years. So we need to move that detection earlier. And, And I'd come from the part of the industry, honestly, where billions and billions of dollars are being spent in late stage mm-hmm. cancer therapeutics, where the paradigm is, you know, you take a patient who's been through multiple lines of therapy, three, four lines of therapy, you put this new agent on top of a backbone of other uh, treatments, and you try and get, you know, what, like a six month progression free survival outcome in your study, which is a home run. <laughs> Right. Um, and, you know, I've got a, a personal story here as well. Unfortunately, I lost my mom to, to cancer in 2014. Hmm. Wonderful woman. Uh, I lost my dad in 2004. Kind of tragically, that was very sad. Um, but she, you know, found the strength to, to kind of rebuild her life, rekindle relationships in her life that um, maybe had, had been lost when she was with my dad. But unfortunately, had kind of in a stroke of irony, the day my first son was born, we found out she had this rare tumor in her salivary gland, parotid gland tumor, which is, you know, not a good prognosis. And it had been misdiagnosed oh. as a swollen lymph node. And by the time they figured out what it was and she knew something was wrong, it was already metastasized to her spine and her hip. Oh. They gave her a year to survive. She lived six. And I always say like, thank God for the wonders of modern medicine and all that billions of dollars that's being spent that I just talked about because that gave us a chance to spend six great years with her, but it was too late. Right. And I'd said, she's a scientist. She would have loved this technology. She would have been an early adopter and certainly she knew something was wrong. So if she could have gone and gotten a simple blood test to detect whether there was a, a cancer signal in her blood, she, she would have been all over that. And so, you know, I, I, I can't save her 
but maybe I can save my wife. Maybe I can help myself or, or you know, yeah, other friends. Yeah. We actually had a we had an advertisement, by the way, in the Dartmouth Alumni Magazine in May. Um, so you can check that out, uh, which was is kind of an unbranded ad. But you know, the concept is curing cancer starts with detecting it and knowing you have it. That's yeah. that's the idea we're after. Awesome, awesome. So, what's your role in Grail at this point? So we're really kind of a fledgling company. Uh, commercial organization is two years old. Had really started with a sales team, and we're now moving into kind of more of a mature model. And so my role is to come in and lead our provider channel. So the team that is out engaging with customers and you know physicians, health systems, trying to drive education demand for for the product. And you know we're trying to move to it a place where lining up all the different cross-functional teams that are, are supporting it. So I'm, I'm kind of across the top of that, responsible for driving clinical demand in the provider segment of our business. Got it. So if I were able to go back and, or you were able to go back and get the young Eric's attention in between sets at the fish concert or <laughs> maybe not there um, and, <laughs> and say hey look at this progression of a life that you have ahead of you from the professional side to the personal side what would in a moment of clarity what would he say you know it's so hard because I don't really look at life that way just what we said it's you know, if, if I were to go back and say something, it would probably change the course of my life. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy uh, now. And so, sure, are there things that probably I could have done better, experiences maybe I could have moved earlier in my career, maybe I could have advanced faster? Sure, sure. I, you know, I give an example. I, I did I did chase promotions early in my career and kind of progressing up a marketing side of the organization, which, you know, at that point made sense. There were financial benefits. There were ego benefits of, of getting a title, but probably sent me sideways for a long period of time because of the leadership gap, you know, that I could have filled earlier. And maybe that would have advanced me more quickly in my career. But, you know, I mean... You make the decisions you make with the best information you have in front of you at that moment. And I don't fault myself for any of those. So I don't, I don't, I have no yeah. regrets. I really yeah. Don't. Yeah. And I don't even think I was asking it in the kind of thinking that you would. It was, it's almost like, could he see that this would make sense? Yeah. I probably was overly cerebral in, in general in my life. And that's not just, you know, that's even with, relationships and those sorts of things, I probably could have just let go and, and relax and let things come to you and be more confident and comfortable in my own skin. And that's been a maturation process o over the years. I'm probably still still working that out. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much there now. But that, that certainly was one of those things is just kind of relax, let, let it come to you. Well, I'm sure lots of good things are going to come to you. And it sounds like all the things that have thus far have been right on time and put you where you're supposed to be. So thanks so much for sharing all this, Eric. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been fun. I appreciate it. 
That was Eric Jensen, Vice President, Head of Clinical Channel at Grail, where his team detects cancer early when it can best be treated and cured. Prior to his current role, he spent nearly two decades in a variety of positions at Amgen. He lives with his family in the Columbus, Ohio area. I know those fish heads are extremely loyal, but I'm not sure they can hold a candle to some of our Roads Taken fans. Quite a few of you have reached out to say that you never miss a show, and I know you binge listeners are out there trying to catch up on the deep cuts you might have missed the first time around. Don't resort to bootlegs, though. You can find the full archive wherever you find your podcasts or at rosetakenshow.com, also the home of our show notes, transcripts, and the terrific then and now photos of all of our guests. Thanks so much for supporting us, and tune in again next time with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on Roads Taken.